Okay, so you're gonna probably be able to tell a lot of the direction that I'm gonna go, and there's not much I'm gonna try to like hide and save till the end or anything. Um, but, so to preface this question, I don't want any Sunday school answers for this. Like, seriously. No answers just because you think I'm going for the answer of God or Jesus. That's not, that is the answer. That is the answer to this question. But, so, is there one thing, is there one thing in this world that you would trade everything you have for? One thing, this perfect car that you've envisioned, this perfect house, the, the health, wealth, prosperity. What, is there one thing that you would trade everything you currently have for? Every physical thing you have, would you trade all of that for this one thing? Serious question. Can anybody, like, some people would say, I want that Ferrari. Like, I will do everything to get it, or whatever it may be. Does anyone have one thing? Not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No? The perfect family? Happiness? A godly wife? Hey, there you go. That is a good answer. That is a good answer. Say what? Something you'd be willing to give everything to see people who have passed away? Okay. I think there really could be some answers to this. I think that some people would be willing, no matter if you have a lot or if you have a little, I know being in college, I would have had very little, just a little dorm room full of stuff that there wasn't much to give up, so it would have been pretty easy. I say that, but I don't know. Um, I guess in today, like the overall big picture, I think we're going to, I hope to, I hope as we discuss this that we see that, that we have to be willing to drop absolutely everything, sell absolutely everything, figuratively, literally, in order to follow Jesus. And that's kind of the big picture that I want to give. Um, as I was thinking, like, most weeks I've not come up and given an outline of, I've heard some pastors, I guess, that go through an outline of their sermon and say, here's the outline, I'm going to give it to you, you can follow along with me. Never done that. I mentioned that I was going to give a little sheet with the fill in the blanks like some churches. Corinne told me not to. Um, but I'm not going to do that. But what I do want to do is kind of tell you, let you know from the get-go where I'm going. Um, because we're starting here in Matthew 7, verse 6. And you'll see, I'm sure, one quick re reading of that verse, you're like, where in the world are you going to go with this? But we're going to jump around a lot. We're going to go over to Matthew 13 and look at a couple parables of Jesus. We're going to go to Luke 10 and look at some things there. And then we're going to come back to Matthew 7 with kind of a hopefully a different perspective and then, re and then revisit this verse. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you my main point. I told Tanner, I was going to say my big take home, my big main point within the first couple minutes. And hopefully you're going to, you, you, you saw this coming. Like, I, what I want to do today is make much of Jesus, okay? Like, hopefully we do that every week, but I want to do that, like, so clear today. I want to set Jesus on this pedestal where we see that he is worthy of our worship. Like, that is the message I want to hopefully hammer today. Like, hopefully as we, as we do that, 
And then we come back and read Matthew 7, verse 6. We're going to see this completely differently than just a quick reading of it would show. Until last Saturday, this verse, I had it with the first five verses in this chapter. It was going to be in there, totally planned on hitting on all this, and quickly realized there was way too much that I want to talk about. There's way too much that I felt like had to be said from this verse. Last week was already like 43 minutes or something. To lump this one in with it would have been good, or trying, or long, or whatever word you want to use there. But like, I want to make sure we read this verse, though, in, con- in the same context as last week. So last week, if you weren't here, we, we talked about um, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and Jesus says, don't judge people, but judge people. Like, he said, don't judge people to where you're saying, you're declaring them as guilty before God. Like, don't, don't judge them in that way, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we engage in our own repentance, as we are broken, as we are stayed in this this humble brokenness before God over our own sin, once we get there, we are called to, to help our brothers and sisters in the church to, to overcome the sin in their life, to help them fight the sin. That We said that as the church, we have to be willing, it's only loving if we do this, if we're able to take a brother and sister and say, hey, I see this in your life. Can I point you to the Bible that says this is what God desires? And it says that it's only the church, it's only loving if that's the way we're doing it. We showed that Paul says that this is to build up the church. In Galatians, he said, it has to be done in a spirit of gentleness. And that, that is so crucial as there's that goal of building up the church to glorify God. And that's the way that it has to be. And I'm just going to say that as I transition back and forth, kind of Matthew 13, Luke 10, I'm absolutely awful with transitions. So, every paper I wrote in seminary, I got points counted off, I think, for lack of transitions. So, bear with me as I just jump back and forth. Um, Go ahead and flip to Matthew 13 real quick. These are two of Jesus' shortest parables. We're going to do two parables, three total verses. Um, Matthew 13, 44. I'm going to read verse 44. It says, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And just to remove, remove any confusion that might be there, like this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, this, this having a relationship with God, I want to make sure we set this up right away as being only accessible through Jesus. We say Christ reconciled church. We want to make sure that as we talk about this, we know that this is Jesus teaching it, but he's going to say later, this is only accessible through me. That it's only because of Jesus' work on the cross that this, is a, that this is a thing. That we can have a relationship with God. But That is due to our sin. And we talked about this last week. We talked about the extent of our sin. We talked about this. no matter how we rank it, no matter what we do, we are separated from God in need of a Savior. Like that, we're going to come back to that. But that is what Jesus came to save us from. Okay? Looking at Matthew 13, 44, that one verse, 
how much did that man treasure? How much did he value the treasure in the field? That's a question. How much did he value the treasure that he found? More than anything else, right? He, he valued it enough that he went and sold everything he had to buy it. And I was thinking of a good example of this for us as a group. I was thinking, what is something that we can, we can use this for? And something that we've talked about, what do we do as the church? We say, we worship, we pray. And then Tanner said, there's always one more thing that we do together as the church. We eat. We eat. We eat lunch. We eat together. Like, so much is, is around eating together, dining together, spending that time together. And so as I was thinking of, of it's kind of a silly example, but I, I, follow with me. Take, for example, take this analogy of you have a lifetime supply of white rice. Plain white rice. You're good to go. You will need no other food for the rest of your life because you have this. Silly example, I warned you. Um, and you have this. You're good. You're, you're satisfied. You've got what you need. But then walking along one day, you find a lifetime supply of something so much greater. And I'm going to use my own example. You can use whatever example you so desire, whatever food you desire. If I come across steak, a lifetime supply of steak, a lifetime supply of bacon, a lifetime supply of rolls from Texas Roadhouse, a lifetime supply of sweet corn from Illinois. Like, if I got that, I am good. If I, sweet corn from Illinois, you need to try it. Um, but I'm good. I found something that is so much greater than the rice that I have, right? Like, imagine yourself this conversation that you're going to have with yourself when you're weighing the, which one should I take? Is there even a conversation? Like, whatever food, if you want other food, fill in your own. But there's no conversation, right? Like, there's no comparison. Like, the first thing you do is you run and you... You clear out wherever you had that rice, like get rid of it, sell it, get it out, because you found something so much greater. There's no comparison. There's no question. And I realize, silly example, but the point I'm trying to make is that this man in this parable, you see, like he did not think that he was being silly at all. Like it says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. In his joy, like, he sees it, runs, sells everything he has because he has found the ultimate thing. He has found the treasure worth having. You compare this to the rich young ruler, you see, that says, Jesus says, okay, to follow me, go and sell all you have. His response was not joy. He clung to that stuff too much. He realized that what he had, he didn't realize how great what he could have. This man says, this man gets it. He sees the treasure, values it, and sells everything. Okay. Go down one verse. Different parable. Very similar. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Very similar. But here's the thing. 
it says that he was actively searching for pearls of great value. Notice the plural. Pearls. S. Like, he was searching for these things that he thought would make him happy, that he thought would supply his every need. But it shows that he found the one, the singular, he found the one pearl and realized he did not have to keep looking because he found it. He found what he ultimately needed. And it's similar, just like the last guy, he went and sold everything to purchase the ultimate thing. And I, I don't think that we always value the treasure. We don't always value the pearl enough. I'm going to jump out of the metaphors here. Like, I don't think that we value the gospel. We don't value Jesus enough. Whether you know what he did on the cross for you or not, I don't know that we value him enough. Like, is it something that you value so high that it's worth selling everything for? Do you value it that high? Is it worth being the thing you find and you say, I don't need anything else? Is that, is that your value on the gospel? Like, the, the gospel that says that we have access to God through Jesus' death on the cross, like, that has to be the one thing that is of ultimate worth. Like, nothing else matters. Whatever we have to sell, whatever we lose, whatever we gain, whatever, whatever changes as a result of that does not matter because you have Jesus. Like, that has to be where we're at. And last week, we talked about the extent of our sin. We talked about, I went through this whole thing again, but no matter where you're at, like, your sin is to the highest degree. Like, your sin, your rejection of God through your sin separates you from God. Like, no matter what the sin, talked about all the, the wide variety last week, it's all the same, that your sin separates you from God. And the one thing that, I love how we went through the Old Testament last week, we, or last week, huh, the last year, we went through all the Old Testament last week. Um, but no, like last year, we went through all the Old Testament and looked at how God spoke to the people in the Old Testament. And then so, so on Sunday nights, we've been reading through the Old Testament, and we've seen the extent of sin. Like, that's like the one thing that's been more clear to me than anything else, is just how clear the sin of Israel was. Looking back and reading it, you're like, they're messed up, they're so sinful, why do they keep doing that? And it comes, it's more and more apparent the need for a Savior, the farther and farther and farther you read in the Old Testament. Like, you see the need for a Savior. Someone outside of them to come in and save them. And then looking at my life, like looking at the lives of people around me, like that same need I feel like is so apparent. Like reading through the Old Testament has shown me that in my own life. Like you realize how in need of a Savior you are because of your sin that we talked about last. Because of your extent, because you have rejected God, we are in need of a Savior. And we've talked also the Old Testament being like We've said this all through Matthew pretty much so far, is the Old Testament pointing back to Jesus. How it was pointing to Jesus. How the whole Bible was about Jesus. And I want to read a couple passages that, that just describe Jesus. Like just straight up talking about Jesus here. And this week I did not mark my Bible, so I'd actually slow down and let you guys have a chance to find it with me. Um, but flip to Colossians chapter 1. I realize if I'm marking my Bible, I flip to it and just start reading. I don't have to actually search for it. 
Um, but in Colossians 1, this is a passage that I read the very first sermon I preached. Colossians 1, verse 15. 15 through 20. <coughs> says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Flip to Philippians. My Bible is one page back. It's Philippians chapter 3. Just kidding. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You don't have to flip here, but the next I'm going to read one more. It's 1 Peter 2, 24. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I want you to listen to these descriptions. I'm going to kind of piece together those verses and just to pull out some things that were describing Jesus. It says, For in him all things were created. He holds everything together. He is the fullness of God, obedient to the point of death. God has highly exalted him, makes peace by the blood of his cross. He bore our sins on the cross. Like, are you seeing this description of Jesus? Like, I've thought a lot about this hashtag that we often use as the church, like this hashtag that Jesus is better. But I don't think that even comes close to describing this. Like, as you read this, like, our hashtag does not do Jesus justice. Like, you see that, that he is worth so much more glory, he is worth so much more worship than we can even begin to describe because of what God, it says that God, what God has made him. Like, it says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, that he bore our sins on the cross. Like, this is the treasure worth giving everything away for. This is the treasure that's worth valuing over anything else that we could possibly have in our lives. And Paul talked about this. Back in Philippians, told you I was going to be all over the place. Philippians 3, verse 7. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Like, Paul knew that, that knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus was absolute ultimate worth. And I, want, I want that to be like Not knowing about Jesus. Not, know, not just merely knowing that he died on the cross. Not merely just knowing that he's the Son of God, but knowing Jesus. Like, there's a big, big difference there. And I hope that we'll continue to think about this. We'll continue to pray about this individually. Just on, like, what does knowing Jesus mean to you? Do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? I don't know where you're at. I just realized I never actually read Matthew 7, 6. Um, but I, if you've read it, hopefully you've already read it knowing I skipped it on accident. But like, how in the world does this relate? How in, those, how in the world does this relate to the verse that we're talking about today that I have not read yet? Um, something last week that I said was we were focusing last week on the relationship between, Christi- between Christians, between brothers and sisters in the church. But the one thing we didn't talk about was how do we react, how do we interact with the sin of people outside the church? When we see people sinning against God outside of the church, outside of people who do not claim Christ, what do we do? How do we interact with that? Because I think that's where Jesus shifts a little bit here in this sixth verse. It says, I'm going to go ahead and read it since I haven't still. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I first want to say that it is not the job of the church to condemn the world as sinful. Like, that is not our job. Our job is not to condemn the world as sinful. Like, if you think about the, the I don't know if you've heard of this, this turn and burn gospel that says, you have like these some people that go around just preaching, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, repent. At some point, especially down here in this Bible belt, I'm sure you've heard this at some point. And the truth in it aside, I think that it's very, very dangerous the way that we present this treasure, this pearl. If we, if we hold it to the utmost worth because it's radically changed our lives, we want to present that in a way that shows you treasure it, right? Like, I don't, people are going to reject the gospel. People are going to say, I don't want that. But I don't want that to be because of the way that we said it. Because we came across without any love, without any grace, that we came across as condemning. People are going to reject it, but I pray that it's not because of our message, or of our presentation even. I mentioned last week briefly John 3.16, as often the, the common favorite verse of people, because that might be the one verse that they know. I'm going to read this week, though, John 3, 17 and 18. The verses right following John 3.16. 
I'm going to take a drink so you can keep flipping. John 3, 17 and 18. It reads, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, like, this says Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world. And if that is true, which is in the Bible, so I hope we believe it's true, if that is true, then we are also not sent into the world to condemn the world. But listen to the second half of this verse. It says that, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but, we talked to CG last week, like that, those little small words are so important in the Bible, the thens, the buts. But, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Like, this is the message that we are told to proclaim. It is this message of Jesus. It is us making much of Jesus. It's us proclaiming that. But that, that's what the church is commanded to do. Like, if we do that, people are going to be extremely aware of, this, of their sinfulness. As we make much of Jesus and show who Jesus is, people will realize their sin. And there comes times when, when you discuss the sins with someone who's you're talking about Jesus. There's times for that. But there's people that lives are being completely destroyed by destructive behaviors. By behaviors, whether it be addiction, whether it be um, hope in something else. Whether it be any number of things that can be completely controlling someone's life. Like, there's people's lives who are being destroyed by this. And as we believe that we have the hope, we have the message that is worth telling about, like, as we proclaim that, as we proclaim the only hope and that it only comes through Jesus, people are going to want that. But about condemnation, listen to what John Piper says. He says, that is not our job. He says, we preach the gospel to the world. And as occasion arises, we might link some destructive behavior to the gospel as a way out. Like, we proclaim the gospel. Like, the gospel is going to point out people's sins. But that's not our job. Pointing out people's sins is not our job. That's the gospel. That we are to be proactive preachers of the gospel. Like, the gospel is the hope. The gospel is what presents people with hope to overcome whatever, obstacle, whatever obstacles, whatever strongholds are in their life that's like holding them captive. Whether it be addiction, whether it be any number of things, any number of sins that are controlling people's lives. Second Corinthians 2 Second Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is what the gospel does. The gospel destroys strongholds. Like, this is why we share the gospel. This is why we're to be proactive preachers of the gospel. To share the gospel, because that is the only hope that people have for a change in their life. For a life that resembles Christ. Okay, with this beauty of the gospel, this treasure, this pearl, this only hope that we have, 
want to read Matthew 7, verse 6. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot. Dogs and pigs. Like, these are not pets. These are not bacon. These are not ham. Like, the Bible, and in Jewish time, pigs are forbidden, were forbidden to eat for the Jews. These were unclean animals. Dogs were not pets. Dogs were the scavengers on the streets that were eating trash, that were eating, that were a big nuisance, that were extremely dangerous. Like, what I was reading is that, like, dogs were those things that were basically, you saw them, you ran inside because you were fearful for your children. Like, Ben and I have a neighbor dog that I think fits that description sometimes. Got a good story about their dogs later. Um, but, like, in this message, so, you see, dogs and pigs, these are people who adamantly reject the gospel. There, there are people that say, and there are people that will ridicule and reject and be hard-hearted to the gospel. And we've already said, this pearl, this holy thing, this treasure is the gospel. This is the message that we hold. If you are a believer in Christ, and Christ has changed your life, this is the pearl. This is the treasure that you hold. But this is the difficult part. This is the warning of Jesus, and it's extremely difficult. And I've been kind of burdened over this all week and how to just pray a lot this week, just how to even talk about this. Because he's saying, like, there are people that are going to reject the gospel. There are people that are going to literally or figuratively spit in your face and don't want to hear the gospel. It's a reality. Like, how pigs and dogs were described, like, that's describing people. And I don't think Jesus is absolutely not teaching that we're supposed to judge who, or who isn't okay to receive the gospel. He's not saying you need to judge whether or not they should, you should preach to them. That's not what Jesus is saying. But I think he absolutely is saying we need to be absolutely discerning in how we use the voices and occasions that he's given us to preach the gospel. Like, the beauty of the gospel message that we hold is so, should be so beautiful that we just beg God to give us wisdom on how to share that with people, when to share that with people, when not to share that with people. How, what do we do? When I was preparing to go to China for the first time, we um, talked a lot about Luke 10. And you can go ahead and start flipping there. I'll get to it in a second. But... We were told as we prepared that there were going to be an abundance of people that wanted to hang out with us when we got there. That it was going to be crazy. That you're going to run out of time. You're going to have to be discerning on who you spend your time with. I didn't really get it. I just kind of ignored that. Didn't really think that was possible. I mean, I don't think I was a huge loser growing up or anything, but I also definitely did not have people fighting over my time. Like, I never ran out of time because people wanted to hang out with me. It was never a problem I had. But... We got there, and it was absolutely true. Like, we had so many people wanting to hang out with the cool Americans that we had to, like, schedule our lunches, schedule our dinners, schedule our snacks in between, schedule playing basketball, whatever it be, to spend time with these people. And very quickly realized that my partner and I that I was with, we were praying all the time, like, God, show us who to invest in. Show us who to hang out with and who not to hang out with because we only had so much time. And very quickly, 
Some people are interested. Some people are hearing this message that we mentioned of Jesus, and they're interested. They want to hear it. They, they engage in those conversations. And some people were very quick to say, nope, change the subject, and they would steer away from it every time. And this was the difficult part, because you don't want to say, ooh, you changed the subject. I'm never going to share with you again. I'm going to go over here. Like, that's not the mindset, but in that limited two-week span, if there was someone who wanted to hear the gospel and someone who said, no, I want to talk about sports or whatever it be, we were going to go have lunch with the person who was interested. And listen to verse 5 and 6 in Luke 10. We kind of use this as a model as we went. Verse 5 and 6, it says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And if not, it will return to you. This is Jesus sending out the disciples into the towns that he's going to. And so we were praying for these people of peace, people that were actively searching, people that God had prepared for us to talk to. And we were praying so much that God would lead us to those people. But here was the difficult part. It was the people that rejected it. Like, what do we do then? But here, there's people that rejected it, but there's absolutely people who were so desperately in need of it and they knew it. Listen to Luke 10 too. This is Jesus talking. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Sorry, iPad just went crazy. Um, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Like, Jesus knew the harvest was there. Like, it was his death that made this gospel worth preaching. Like, Jesus knew this. Like, do you see the two ideas that are kind of battling here? This idea of preach the gospel, and there comes a time when we're going to read here in a second, what do you do when they reject it? There is a time when you move on. Listen to Luke 10.10. 10. He says, But whatever you, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. This hurts. Like, this is difficult. Like, he didn't say to stay there. Stay there year after year after year and preach to these people who are adamantly rejecting you. He says, shake off the dust of your feet and tell them, it be on your own. Or that's what Paul says. But he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Paul in, in Acts 18.6, this is about Paul as he was um, talking with the Jews. He says, and it says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Like, he had been preaching to these Jews who consistently rejected him, rejected the message that he was preaching. And he said, Okay, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. They're going to be receptive. That's where, this is where God is leading me. And this message of Matthew 7, 6 is very similar to this. Like, there are people who are actively fighting against the gospel. And there are people that so desperately need to hear it. Like I said earlier, this, this, this pearl, this gospel, has the power to change lives. But we absolutely have to know that people are going to reject it. People are going to say they don't want that. 
It says, the end of verse 6 says, Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I hope that you feel just kind of a little bit of the overwhelming weight of this. Like, I've been sitting here praying this week, just uh, preach the gospel always. But when, how do I follow you in doing that wherever you want? When is it time to, to go on to somewhere else because someone does not want to hear the gospel? Someone is hardened to that. God is the only one that's going to be able to teach us how to do this. Like, he's the only one that knows where he's working, that he's the one going before, softening hearts, preparing people to hear the gospel. And that's where we need to be actively on our knees, begging God to show us where we need to be sharing the gospel, where we need to be devoting our time. I felt like it was the, the need was heightened when we had, I knew I had 14 days in China. We had to be very, very wise with where I was spending my time. But that same thing applies here. I don't want to, please don't hear that I'm saying like Jesus is promoting this um, Kentucky one and done mentality. Like that, sorry, basketball. But he, Jesus is not saying share the gospel, they say no, you leave. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say here. And I, and I really, really, really hope you don't hear that. Like, I truly believe that God uses the faithful witness of Christians over time to soften hearts. Like, that people see your investment in their lives and say, wow, you actually care about me because you've been here the entire time. Like, I think of the DRC and just hearing people like, we're invested year after year, and then you start to see fruit. You start to see people trusting people because of constant faithful involvement. So I don't want to hear, I don't want you to hear that it's like you share the gospel, they say no, you, okay, bye, and, and go to somewhere else. That's, that's not the idea. But we have to love so deeply that we know the, the treasure that we hold and where we are proclaiming it. Where we are, we only have so much time. We need to pray that God would show us where to invest, where to where to go out and to invest our time? Where is the harvest plentiful? We see it. It's all around. We also have to know that it's only God that opens hearts. We can pound people with the gospel, but until God opens their hearts, it's pointless. We can pound and pound and pound, but until God changes hearts, until God opens hearts, we cannot change their life. We cannot help them get over their addiction. We cannot help them get over their sin until God changes their hearts. This call from Matthew 5 of love your enemies, that's not changed at all. Like, it's still the same. Like, it says pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And I truly believe that we should be praying for God to, to change the hearts, for God to save every single person but we have to be okay when he doesn't. Like, we have to be willing to say, he has saved me, I hold a treasure that I want to proclaim. And if it's not this person you've been sharing with, you still pray for them, you still love them, you still share, you still share with them when, when you're able. But you, maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to move on. And it's a balance that that only God can show you. It's a balance that only he is going to ever, to be, ever be able to reveal. 
And I just think that shows a need for us to be so deep in prayer, so in tune with God, that we know this, that we see this, that we can sense his leading. Like, I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus or if you even have one. I have no idea. And this week I've just been praying, like, if this is the first time that the whole gospel was spelled out, that Jesus, your sin, that Jesus saved you from your sin, that he is worthy of our worship, then I pray that you would find this treasure and you would see the treasure, that you'd see it as worth it, that you'd see it as worth laying absolutely everything down for. Like I was seeing, I was, through 2 Corinthians 5, it says, it says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, I urge you, like, to put your faith in the only thing that can truly break barriers, the only thing that can truly change lives, that can change your heart, the only thing that brings salvation. And for those that have had their hearts changed, that, have, that, have, that are seeking God, that, that are wanting him to work in their lives and to change hearts, I pray that we would realize just the extent of this gospel, just the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of his work on the cross, that, that we would treasure that so much that we would just be on our knees thanking God for that and, and having him show us, asking him to show us what to do. Whether that be preaching, whether that be um, begging him to save someone, whether that be moving on to a new location, I don't know. But I just pray that we would all be thankful for the grace he's given us and that we would just treasure that gospel message. Let's pray.